0: I'm now joined live and in person by James Safer, ETF research analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. And I mentioned this at the top. I am not sure there are five people walking the face of the earth who know more about crypto related ETFs than James does. I thought I was all over this stuff. James has truly taken this to another level. I, I'm not sure when he sleeps, but uh, James so great having you here in the studio and welcome to
1: Kansas City. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to get dive in here and talk about some uh, some crypto Bitcoin ETFs.
0: And uh, what brings you in town?
1: Yeah, so I'm actually here. I'm, I'm doing client visits, and I'm actually uh, speaking with um, a bunch of people. I'm giving a presentation to American Century Investments, who are some of the big, some one of the bigger issuers of uh, of ants ETFs, as we call them, uh, which you were just talking with Todd about. So I'm going to be talking to them about uh, what's going on in the overall fund landscape. I don't think I'll mention crypto or Bitcoin once unless I'm asked about it when I'm talking with them. But uh, uh, yeah, far ranging topics.
0: Well, and I saw you, uh, you. You did the proper thing last night, and you got some Nice Kansas City barbecue. How was that?
1: It was very good. I had, I actually, so my girlfriend lives in St. Louis, so I, I Nate knows this, but I, uh, getting here from St. Louis was not very easy. It was either like a t- 30 minute layover or like a five hour layover, so I ultimately just ended up renting a car and driving to St. Louis. I had some great barbecue there, too. So I've, I've had a lot of barbecue in the last week or so, and they've, but last night the brisket was better than what I had in, in St. Louis, but the ribs, ironically enough, in St. Louis were better than what I had here. So, but it, all very good. Very, fair. very good. I
0: won't get into it. Any- a a kc barbecue competition with you here today we'll talk we'll, we'll stick to a crypto etf so look i was uh looking back you were actually on this podcast in uh early july which that was just after blackrock filed for the iShares bitcoin etf and then of course we saw everyone else jump in that seems like ages ago right that's like five years in crypto time
1: yeah, it feels like like I I was literally looking at some of the stuff like looking at the timelines of things rather recently, and I'm like that like it, if you had told me that was eight months ago, I'd be like oh yeah, I guess that was or that was a long time ago, but it really wasn't that long ago. But so much has happened with the court case and all these different filers, these amendments. So much has been moving and happening. That uh, and and I feel like crypto Twitter, it, like it's like one day is like seven days. Everything moves so quickly. Well, let's talk a little <laughs> bit
0: about that because and look, we are going to cover everything with with spot Bitcoin and Ether. ETFs in a minute. But with, with Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it, it's amazing. I feel like every time uh, you tweet about crypto ETFs now, it's like wildfire. I, I see your tweets everywhere. Um, it, it's just it's amazing. And I'd love to have you talk a little bit about that experience, because it seems like your profile and your following has, has really grown. What has that been like?
1: Yeah, so I, I, I so it's funny, there's there's two things to say here. The first thing to say is like, I have a lot of people like, oh, the Bloomberg ETF peeps are, like, covering crypto now and, like, all this stuff and acting like I haven't been doing this since 2019. It's just no one knew who I was or <laughs> followed me. But um, Belchunas and I got got it right on the Bitcoin futures ETFs. And that's when I really started picking up a following. And I guess we've gotten a lot of calls correct over the last few years on this exact topic. Um, the crypto Twitter crowd is very uh, – <laughs> very uh, – they have a lot of strong feelings there, and the anti crypto crowd have a lot of very strong feelings. So, um, there's a lot of interaction I have on Twitter, there's a lot of good sources you get, um, from talking on Twitter. So, it's been interesting. There's like a lot of like crypto publications will just take my tweet and write a story off of it. I'm like, this is absolutely insane. People are just running stories off of it, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's been nice. It's nice to get some of the recognition. But with that recognition comes a lot of uh, backlash from from other people as well.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. I actually uh, tweeted out, I think it was over the weekend, that I don't think there's a more passionate group of people on Twitter than the crypto crowd. It's amazing. I've seen it. Right. I mean, I've been covering uh, crypto ETFs for quite a while. And I just I can tweet about anything other than crypto ETFs and it's crickets tweet about crypto ETFs, and again, it's like wildfire. And that's a reflection of the passion that this group has. And we can talk about what's driving that passion. Some people say, well, it's all about number go up, right, to the moon. But when you start interacting with uh, individuals in the crypto space, there is a lot of knowledge here. There's a lot of knowledge around the history of money and government debt. And we can you know, get get into a whole slew of topics, but it, it truly is amazing what I have thought about is once we finally have all these crypto ETFs, what are we going to tweet about? Are are we going to tweet about (laughs) ETFs and bond ETFs and stuff like that? It's going to be boring.
1: Yeah, no, it it honestly is going to be boring. This has been extremely exciting, like in a very nerdy kind of way, like reading through these filings, trying to figure out what's going on. Um, And it's, it's not like you and I both kind of have this semblance, and there's other people out there that have like this really good crossover understanding of like how ETFs work and why people invest in them and like what these documents look like. And there's like this – it's it's kind of like TradFi and crypto overlap. I found this like really good niche where like I can kind of talk to TradFi people about crypto and I can talk to crypto people about TradFi. And there's a lot of people that just understand one and not the other. Uh, and this ETF overlap is obviously just like – perfect for like what my understanding and knowledge and experience has been. I also used to cover closed end funds uh, back in the day at, at Bloomberg. So like GBTC fell squarely in that squarely in my lap. Like if you had a bunch of like concentric overlapping circles, GBTC kind of fell right into my lap uh, a few years ago. So that's where all this really started for me is, is trying to explain to our clients who were doing that GBTC trade with the premiums or the discounts, asking me questions and me just like really diving in and doing a deep dive. And now here we are talking about ETFs. It's a
0: good point with you sort of serving as a bridge because and I know you feel the same way we always talk about how a spot Bitcoin ETF or spot crypto ETFs in general are sort of a bridge between crypto and traditional finance and on Twitter you're sor- sort of serving that role as well, right? I mean you're you're that bridge, you're helping that that know, you know, that knowledge gap that people have between ETFs and tradfi but also uh bringing the crypto element as well.
1: Yeah, I get I get a lot of flack from the crypto crowd for being literally called a suit at different times and <laughs> people saying don't trust this guy he works for a, tra- a regular finance company and people some people consider Bloomer to be mainstream media. So I get a lot of flack for that stuff. But I mean, my experience is for the most part even within Bloomberg there's a lot of people that really do understand this stuff. So it's it's not all that complicated, but it's 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 certainly fun.
0: We'll move on from the topic of uh, Twitter here in a moment, but I, I have to ask you I know you were on Bloomberg's ETF IQ last week covering this topic, but I'm really curious to hear what you thought about this tweet from Cointelegraph last Monday. And I did cover this on the podcast last week with uh, Vetify's Tom Light, and, and I'm happy to give you my take if you didn't hear it, but what was your initial reaction? To that Cointelegraph tweet, did you think there was any chance at all that that it was real, that the iShares Bitcoin ETF had in fact been approved by the uh, SEC?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, part of the thing is like I've – Coindesk is a very good source, which is obviously not Cointelegraph, and these crypto trade publications have beaten us in knowing some stuff about the ETF world. So, like, it wouldn't have been completely insane to get scooped by a crypto publication like Cointelegraph. That said, it just didn't seem right. But also like we just had the courts not the, – the SEC not file for uh, an en banc a- uh, appeal essentially in their GBDC case. So the SEC didn't do that. So like people were thinking maybe a lot of things could happen. It just didn't – the timing didn't seem right to me. It was way too quick. I immediately – somebody – so I was basically literally pouring coffee when I was like scrolling through Twitter and I saw that and I was like, what is this? And right after I saw it, Balthunis texted me and said, you see this with a link to Twitter. And I literally ran to my desk and was like, I need to figure out if this is real. So I I was being tagged, everyone was like, Jay safe, is this real? Like all these people, I guess the crypto Twitter people know that like I cover this stuff. And I replied to like two or three people I was like, I don't think so. But I didn't want to like go out publicly and say this is definitely false and then I, I spent ten minutes like just look I was like, there's nothing here. This is fake. The only way this could be real is if somebody at iShare's or the SEC leaked that they're approving it. And but also part of it was like our view, which we can get into, is that we I think it's going to be a common clock. I think there's going to be multiple that launch at once, which was like just fishy to me. The timing didn't make sense. But like the fact that we've been scooped by them a bunch of times before on certain things was like I have to take this a little bit seriously. But um, yeah, it's it's just it's not a good look. You can look at the conversation happening internally with the what crypt, uh, with with what Coin put out. Ironically enough, I was reading through it and like you can see everything and like my tweet is in there and then Eric's tweets are in there. I'm questioning whether it's real. Um, and, like they were talking internally about what we were tweeting, which is funny, like just live throwing their our stuff in there but um yeah, that's a bad mistake. It's a bad look. Like, they never should have tweeted that. And then, like, my favorite part of that whole thing was, like, they tweeted it out. I don't know if you talked about this last week. And then, like, one of the people was like, oh, the price is moving. Maybe it is real. Like, <laughs> guys, I saw that. Yeah, like, you guys just tweeted it out with 1.9 million followers. If it's actually happening, like, obviously, you're the one moving the market. But, but.
0: You, uh, you called it out pretty quick, though, on Twitter. Didn't you say something along the lines of, like, hey, this is likely false?
1: Fa- I literally called it fake, fake news. Yeah. Fake news. It was 15 minutes after it was posted, exactly. Uh, and I think. I think I was the first person other than some random people saying this is probably – can this be real? But I I think I was the first person to call it out as fake news immediately because part of the reason Eric was questioning it was because similar thing happened the week prior with some, some news with like Reuters coming out and saying the SEC wasn't going to appeal and like That's we right. saw headlines on the terminal. But like really what happened is like the Bloomberg terminal like – aggregates a bunch of headlines and wires from different sources. So like it just got like copied and pasted across multiple wires and then it showed up like from Reuters on the Bloomberg terminal and it was like what is this headline? Um so Eric saw that on the Bloomberg terminal was like I don't even know if this is real. Now I'm second guessing my thoughts that initially it was fake, but ultimately it came back and fake news.
0: <laughs> I was uh, I think I was just shocked at how many large accounts, large media accounts were retweeting the headline. Basically treating it as if it was real, and I, I blogged about this a little bit last week. So I'll give you. my... I saw. My, the, okay, I did yeah. see. I did see a bit of the. Oh, so yeah, so yeah. very simply, I mean, what had me skeptical was one: if the if there was a leak, the SEC doesn't use the term "approve," right? The SEC doesn't approve anything; they allow things to come to market. I know that's a minor nuance, but that caught my attention right away. Um, the SEC had obviously just delayed a decision on the iShares Bitcoin ETF at the end of September, and so why would they turn around and allow the ETF three weeks later? That had my attention. To what you were saying earlier, um, the prevailing thought in the in the marketplace is that the SEC is going to batch approve these things, let them all launch at once. So the fact that only the iShares, yes. you know, th- that caught my attention. And then I think lastly, it, again, just the, the optics given that the SEC didn't appeal the Grayscale ruling a week ago, or it would have been on that Friday, and then turn around on Monday and say, yep, now we're approving the iShares Bitcoin ETF, but you know, not Grayscales or any others. That just had my attention as well. But I, to your point, you never know. And you know, there's a lot of chatter in, in the crypto space. And, and look, and we can get into this. Maybe it's a good segue here. There's a lot of chatter right now just around the iShares Bitcoin ETF because they've now been listed in the DT- DTCC, Uh, you know, uh, apparently or or perhaps seeding the ETF soon. So (laughs) maybe Cointelegraph was just a little bit uh, early. I I guess we'll see.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, Beltunas has this theory that maybe like somebody at iShares had like told somebody else that, yeah, it looks like we're getting approved. And then like it just kind of trickled up and then ultimately ended up being tweeted, even though there is no way to prove it. But I mean, you can look at all the stuff that has happened. Look, that's a red herring document that says they're seeding in October like that. Somebody could have just put that in there in case they do start seeding in October, they could easily have to file another amendment and then change the date to be November or December or whatever, um, and then the so yeah. But they, the other people were like, "Oh my God, it already has a Qsip. Look, iShares has had a Qsip since uh, since July of this year, um, but like, there's no like set timing. Like, oh, they filed They have they're listed with the DTCC. That means they're going to list in three days they could not list for a long time like i've seen etfs to go up there and they ultimately don't end up listing for one reason or another and at the end of the day we need that 19b4 approval order from the sec before this launches so obviously this is not there's no way in way in in there's no world in which like all these moves by blackrock that has <laughs> thrown Twitter into a storm. I was I was driving from St. Louis to Kansas City while this was blowing up in Twitter yesterday morning. Um, but there's no way in, in there's no world where this is like a negative thing. Like the only thing it could be is neutral at worst and positive at best. Like the yes, BlackRock's not going through all this process, taking all these steps if they're like expecting get, to get denied in the next couple months. They're they're getting all of their ducks in a row and and ready, getting ready to launch.
0: I agree with all that. There's no question. This is highly positive towards approval. And again, I put this out on Twitter last night as well, but I'd love your take. So the SEC, and we can get into the deadlines on some of the other ETFs as well, but the SEC does not have to make a final decision on the ART 21 shares Bitcoin ETF until January 10th, I believe. And so the question would be, why, why would they allow, say, the iShares Bitcoin ETF or any of these other ETFs to come to market prior to that if they don't have to, after we've waited you know, what, ten, and, 10 and a half years now since the Winkle vi uh, filed for their Bitcoin ETF in July of, I believe, 2013. So I, I don't know if you have a take on that. I think you're you're sort of in agreement with me, and it's not that it won't launch. Look, it's very possible. We don't know. This whole saga has been, um, you know, it's had all kinds of twists and turns, right? So I, I guess my question is, why would the SEC allow these to come to market before January 10th if they don't have
1: to? So I have two thoughts there. One, i um the way these things get denied and these processes go, there's all these these four dates. And after certain dates, they have to allow for comment periods. So they could be looking for a time period where the most people are like already out of that comment period and trying to get these things approved because like you said and we've been saying they're probably going to do a batch approval or a common clock. Um, the other thing is like I don't think that dates really matter aside from January 10th. Uh, and the SEC is going to approve them all at once. And before January 10th, if we had to pick a reason why they would go before January 10th, it's – we don't know what the heck is going on with Grayscale, right? All we know is the SEC didn't file for an en banc. They decided not to appeal in that regard. Theoretically, they could appeal to the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, the Supreme Court odds of like actually taking that appeal are near zero, in my opinion. It's just not something they would take up. And even if they did, the SEC is going to lose to this uh, based on the current make of the Supreme Court. So that's not happening. Um, so, what we're assuming now is as the mandate came down, which I assume we're going to get into, they basically effectuated the opinion from August. Crypto Twitter was like of this opinion that there was going to be some grand like approval letter that said it was going to happen. And Elliot Stein, one of my colleagues, tweeted out like an example. This is what one of these mandates look like. It's like two Two sentences that says, like, this is official. Uh, so we, I was trying to be early and out saying that, look, this might not happen Friday, it could happen Monday, and also it's not going to mean anything. Um, so basically, we don't know exactly what's happening, because the courts aren't going to tell the SEC or Grayscale, these are the next steps. So what we're assuming happening is right now, the SEC and Grayscale are in talks trying to figure out, like, what happens next. We're in uncharted territory of what this type, nothing has happened like this in the past, right? So... Our assumption, Elliot Stein, my colleague, believes that they're going to try to make – they're going to make Grayscale completely refile, completely start that 19 four process over. Obviously, Grayscale is not going to want to do that. And if they do, they're going to want assurances that if we do that, we're going to get approved with everyone else or something like that or some sort of deadline. But my view is like that: the court order is vacated now there's an, open, there's an open issue, right? The, 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 the It hasn't been settled because what settled it is now gone. So in my mind, like, the SEC needs to do something in some sort of time period, whether it's 45 days from not filing the unbonk, 60, 90 days, or what have you. So basically what happens with Grayscale is what could push this into 2023 in our eyes. But a lot of people are asking, Eric and I, like, what are odds now after all this stuff and like, I went. We went to ninety percent by January tenth of twenty twenty four. Like we cannot go any higher because any that the, the the idea that Gary Gensler or somebody at the SEC could try to like completely cut the head off of this thing go crazy and not like you can't you don't know what gary's going to do he's done a lot of things that don't make a lot of sense so him being on the table and at the head of the sec is is always possible possibility that something else could happen
0: it's a great point regarding this whole situation with grayscale i think clearly they're a a linchpin in terms of timing here because to what you were saying grayscale and there you may remember they had a comment letter I think it was back at the beginning of September. They clearly view this as a lie filing. Yes, they and of course, do. They had the the S three filing last week. They view this as a lie filing, and so if that order, the the disapproval order was vacated, you can mount an argument that the SEC has exceeded their clock and this product should be allowed to to list.
1: You, there's a legal argument to be made that by that being vacated and by the clock being dead, that this is like de facto approved exactly. by the SEC. Now, no shot the SEC would allow that to happen. Like we just end up in court again, probably. I'm, I'm guessing. Look, I'm not a lawyer. I do. We do talk to a lot of lawyers who know this stuff better than I do. But yeah, that's 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 a prev- that's a prevailing legal argument that I'm sure Grayscale is trying to use in talking with the SEC. Like, look, we can push this this envelope here. We could do this. So there's a bit of a negotiation going on here, and um, that
0: may be why. Why there is the potential that these products could launch before January 10th, right? Because of Grayscale's really pushing the envelope here and saying, hey, this filing should be approved, we should be able to come to market, and the SEC we we know or we think they want to batch all of these up at once. Maybe that's why you see it, somebody like BlackRock getting all of their ducks in a row to be able to, to launch. I guess we'll see. Um, l- let me ask you this. I know when we chatted back in early July, and this was right after iShares had filed their uh, amended 19B 4 the big talking point was around Coinbase and surveilling surveillance sharing agreements. Does that even matter anymore? Like, is that even part of the SEC's decision making process here? Do do you think that matters or is is that a moot point?
1: Look, so I, I think it matters just in the sense that it's a good look, especially from Gary Gensler. He can point to it and say, I got them to come in, and we're going to police the wild, wild west of crypto because now we have the surveillance sharing at Coinbase. I'm assuming they'll eventually, shortly, have one with Gemini too. Um, but to be to be honest, anybody who filed with Nicey, Bitwise, uh, Hashdex, and Grayscale, I believe, are the only ones. They have no language about the Coinbase surveillance sharing agreement. That said basically the court said it shouldn't be needed you can't approve bitcoin futures etfs and not approve spot that said it it can only help right like it's not like it's gonna getting the coinbase surveillance sharing agreement is a detriment to anything um so i think the sec will try to use that and spin it as a win specifically gary um for political purposes um but it's pretty evident that the courts don't care whether or not there's a surveillance sharing agreement but like i said Gary can turn it around and say, no, we wanted this surveillance chain agreement, and that's why we're approving, not necessarily just because of what the court said.
0: Yeah, and they get a win perception-wise in doing so. Is there anything... Else that you think needs to be addressed in any of these filings, or is it just a matter of time at this point that the SEC simply needs to, to bless these filings?
1: Yeah, so there's there's two there's two parallel processes that need to happen before any of these ETFs get approved. The first process is the one we've been talking about for literally years, <laughs> which is the 19 before approval process with all those dates and deadlines. The other process is basically getting the the S1s or in grayscale case, grayscale's case the the s three is approved uh, by a different division. So the 19B4s are through the Division of Trading and Markets. The S1s, S3s go through uh, Division of Corporate Finance. And the Division of Investment Management might be involved in some way too. I'm not really sure. But essentially, those S1s, S3s, those are the prospectuses. Those are the offering documents for the shares of these funds, these trusts. And they need to be approved by the Division of Corporate Finance. So That's what we're seeing with all these amendments, these changes, these added risk disclosures, these more details about the AP agreements, more details about custody. These are concerns that they have, that they want all of these S-1 type documents to be clear and explaining risks, adding disclosures, adding clarifications. So that conversation is happening. So basically you need both division of trading markets to sign off on the 19B4s. And you need this division of Corp Fin to sign off on the S1s and S3s. Now, what are the next steps? We don't know. It's possible that, we, like you said, we've seen these amendments from iShares and Fidelity and these different players, ARK and Van, ARC and uh, 21 shares. Um, maybe the SEC is going to come back and say they still have more things they want done, more things they want added. There's no way to know. But at the end of the day, it's these two processes. And we have these ETFs in Canada and Europe and all over the world and, like, Everyone else has figured out a way to do this. We have Bitcoin futures ETFs. The disclosures can't be all that different. Um, So it's just a matter of time between these lawyers at the issuers and the lawyers at the SEC getting comfortable with what's going on the S3s and S1s. And I just – as we've said many times before, I think it's going to be very hard for the SEC Division of Trading and Markets to deny these ETFs because the courts have basically said any reason you've given in the past is not viable anymore.
0: So I know listeners probably want me to, uh, to to pin you down on this, so I just wanted to clarify. So it sounds like you still believe, and, and obviously your colleague Eric Balchunas, that there's a 90% chance that these are approved by January 10th and that when these are uh, ultimately approved the thought is that these will be batched up, and everybody can launch at the same time. I mean, is that where you're at right now? Uh, yeah, just high level
1: yeah, so we're also at seventy five percent by the end of twenty twenty three but once we if we get some clarification that the grayscale decision doesn't have to happen until twenty twenty four or they can delay it some way or we get more information on that, that basically the odds of twenty twenty three are going to have to go way down, uh, so we haven't changed those odds. We just moved up the j n ten to ninety percent, which like I said, we can't go any higher. If we're wrong, this is all just qualitative. It's not quantitative in any way, but like we just, there's too much writing on the wall. And we wanted to be early. We were early and we got a lot of flack for some of our talk. And now most people are coming into our camp. You were in our camp as well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's our stance. Uh, we, I will have to eat a lot of crow, uh, if we're wrong. Um, people were like, oh, if it happens after January, you were still wrong. Like for the most part, people know that we've been accurate and we've been, Honestly, this has been – we've been very, very accurate with our calls and what's going on with the crypto ETF space. We were right on Ethereum futures ETFs. We were right on Bitcoin futures ETFs. We were right in that all these things were going to get denied. We were right that Grayscale was going to win in court despite – that was probably the biggest pushback I got on any calls that we made. We were making a call that Grayscale had a legitimate shot to win in court before the oral arguments. And I can't tell you how many people, including Bloomberg clients, told me that this was a frivolous lawsuit and it was never going to go through uh, and all this other stuff. So – um, if we get one wrong, I guess it won't. It won't be the end of the world. But I'd much prefer to to get this right.
0: <laughs> well, to your point, you have an excellent track record, and that goes back years. goes back to well before the uh, the Bitcoin futures ETFs launched. Um, okay, so one of the things that you uh, you tweeted out this was a couple of weeks ago. You do a great job of keeping an inventory of all of the filings, both spot Bitcoin ETFs. You have one for uh, spot Ether ETFs. So right now, if I look at your table. There are 11 issuers that have filed, not including Grayscale. And I just real quick want to go through these. So we have Art 21 Shares, iShares, Bitwise, Vanek, Wisdom Tree, Investco Galaxy, Wise, which is uh, the Fidelity ETF, Valkyrie, Global X, Hashdex, and then Franklin Templeton. And my my question for you is this. We don't have to get all into the competitive landscape once these things are on the market. We did that before. I'd encourage people to go, go back and listen to our podcast in July. But I, I am curious to hear where you think fees may come in on these. And I, I've said I could very easily see... Someone like iShares just going for the jugular and charging, say, 25 basis points and just trying to, you know, very quickly become the market leader. A- any thoughts on that? I mean, I think that's going to be clearly key to the competition here. I think we both agree that there's going to be a lot of assets that go into these products overall. I think we think the demand's going to be there. Correct me if I'm wrong. So so then the question is, OK, where, where do the assets flow? And we know historically in the ETF space. The cheapest products from the largest issuers, for better or worse, tend to vacuum up the the assets. So, so maybe talk a little bit about that dynamic and where you think fees may come in at.
1: Yeah, I love this. The, my quote, my favorite quote is from Matt Hogan is that ETFs, the ETF industry, tends to be a winner take most rather than winner take all. So, obviously, I think the cheapest product is most likely going to get the most assets. That's just the way it's going to work, especially if it's from a big issuer like. BlackRock is obviously the gorilla in the room but you also like you you mentioned a couple of big names Fidelity and Vesco Franklin Templeton is no slouch in the asset management space um you name it uh, but there's other issuers out there that Van Eck has been trying to do this for a very long time they've been very involved in the crypto space um so it'll be interesting i don't know where fees are going to go my guess would be somewhere closer to the 50 basis point mark but i you're right i could see somebody just coming in and taking making this a loss leader product because the the cost of using custodians in the bitcoin space is way higher than it is for an equity right mm-hmm. i we don't know exactly what these costs look like and there's also other um there's other third-party administrators that come into play here. But for the most part, custodying equity assets is very, very, very cheap and commoditized by all the big banks, the BNY Melons, the State Streets. Um, it's not completely commoditized in the Bitcoin space. So you have to know that the issuer's Yes, they're taking in whatever they're taking in their fee. They're going to have to pay it out in these other areas. Um, so I wouldn't be – honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if you're right if iShares just comes in for the juggler and drops a 25 basis point thing. And um, that will be hard for a lot of issuers to take. I mean if you look at Grayscale, they charge two, 2%. So I'm sure they're thinking about they're going to have to drop to 50 basis points or something along those lines is my guess. That's That would be my demarcation line I would think. Um, but futures ETFs, we have them at 70-ish. Basis points, so they're they're pretty high. We have some bid. O, the big one is 95 basis points, I believe. Um, so they're they're pretty expensive. So anything that we get out of these spot Bitcoin ETFs, it'll be good for pretty much everyone. It'll be very good for investors who want this in their traditional brokerage accounts. These ETFs are probably going to be way cheaper than anything else you have access to, particularly using plenty of crypto exchanges that charge rather high transaction fees, and you have no idea what the bid spread is.
0: Yeah, my my thought on this is that you mentioned the term loss leader. I think that's exactly how somebody like iShares would approach this and say, okay, maybe we will lose money on this product for a period of time. Assets will grow. Ultimately, it will become somewhat profitable. But they can clear out a lot of the competition that doesn't have the wherewithal to, to run a loss leader product. I, I really think it's that simple because I do think th- this isn't anything enlightening a bitcoin etf is a bitcoin etf is a bitcoin etf in other words what's the difference they they all own bitcoin i'm not saying there's some some minor nuances underneath the hood but in general they're all going to own spot bitcoin so what does that mean it well it's going to come down to fees and obviously liquidity so we know whoever you know is able to to, to really become the liquidity leader like we've seen with spy on the equity side of etfs that that's a game changer but ultimately fees are really important there
1: yeah i i also think they're there's also going to be this – there's going to be a huge marketing push, which we've talked about a lot. There's going to be a lot of marketing around Bitcoin ETFs, I think. Uh, but there's also going to be other ways to differentiate. Like it's winner take most, right? One of these guys is going to take a lot. But you have the Bitwise and the Valkyries of the world and VanEck who's been doing this a long time and Vesco who's partnered with Galaxy who all bring their own clients in the crypto space dealing with institutional firms so they can kind of bring their own assets. Maybe they won't be the one with a billion dollars. But if they get a $100 million in some of these ETFs, that will be more than profitable for pretty much most – all these issuers depending on where the fees are. Um, so it the other thing I would say is like other ways they can differentiate is there are ETFs in Europe that have a 0% expense ratio and that's because they lend out the underlying crypto and then they basically charge the fee out of that earned revenue from lending it out and then some of them give dividends on top of that. Good so like you'll, you'll see things where like – iShares is going to be like, I'm going to hold our stuff in cold storage. No one's going to be able to touch it. It's never going to be seen by anyone. Barely any of it will be in a hot wallet. And then you'll see other people coming out and be like, look, we're going to lend out your Bitcoin and earn you a 6% yield. And we're going to do it securely and all these things. And obviously, there's going to be people in crypto like... Ripping their hair out hearing about this. But there's there's going to be all these different ways. Some of the people are going to promise to use different custodians. We've already seen a lot of custodians in the Bitcoin space that people don't trust. So people are going to say, we're using Gemini. We're using Coinbase. Um, somebody, if they were using Prime Trust, would be in a lot of trouble right now, right? So people are going to point out they're probably going to use BitGo. There's a lot of different custodians in the space. People will lean on that. Um, So I think it's going to be pretty vibrant, and I do think it's going to be winner-take-most. But I do think there's going to be a handful of other products out there. um, And we'll see who they partner with, if they partner with other issuers and and things like that.
0: All right. We only have about five minutes left here. I knew this was going to happen. I I should have reserved a whole hour for us because you and I (laughs) could could go for like three hours talking about this. But I I want to quickly pivot here and talk about Ether ETF. So let's just think rapid-fire on these, Maybe give me you know, 30, 60 seconds on each of these questions. And obviously, we had the debut of Ether Futures ETFs a few weeks ago, which I would say was extremely underwhelming. Now, I wasn't necessarily surprised by that. I, I don't think you were either. But I, th- I think we both would say there was even less demand than, than the low expectations that we had. Any quick thoughts on Ether Futures ETFs?
1: Yeah, so I agree 100% less demand than I even thought. I was, I was way under Balchunas' thinking because he thought all these companies would put a lot of money behind it and, and, trying to get assets into these funds. Uh, and it was even way lower than what I was thinking. So, uh, that, that was a little surprising. I think there's a few things here. One, uh, the market isn't what it was in October of 21. That was a raging bull market. Um, two, people, I don't, I think a lot of people in TradFi don't really like, they look at Bitcoin and Ethereum and it's just crypto in, 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 one essence. Um, people don't like futures ETFs for the most part. We, we know Bitto's trailing spot by a decent amount. Um and also I wonder how much of the batch approval impacted what happened. If you look at um if you look at Biddo is like more volume begets volume, so like it was just constantly like feeding on itself. And here we had like a bunch of different ETFs listed on the same day, so there was no like snowball effect. So I wonder if the how much that'll impact Spot Bitcoin, but um yeah, that's my ETH futures take.
0: It's interesting if you exclude BTF, which is the Valkyrie Bitcoin and Ether Strategy ETF, which that already had assets. I show a total of only about 18 million into the other six ether futures-related ETFs overall. Which 18 million after a few weeks? And, and my my take, and this gets into my next question: these will all be obsolete anyway once we get approval of a spot ether ETF. So let's just go there. I mean, I feel like a spot ether ETF is only a matter of time, right? Because once spot Bitcoin ETFs are approved, and given that the SEC has allowed CME-traded Ether Futures ETFs, which we just talked about. You combine that with Grayscale's court victory, spot Ether ETF, should be right around the corner,
1: right? Yeah, I have nothing to add there. I think they're going to happen. The first deadline, the ultimate deadline for some of those that have been filed is May of 2024. So I think that there's a good chance... Now, obviously, there's different things the SEC can try to do, but my view is ultimately that the SEC and Gary Gensler have kind of put uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum separate in a way because there's it it would just be way too hard to fight over those digital assets in court, and they can focus on everything else. Um, So, I'm with you. I think I think we see Ethereum futures. Ethereum futures. I think we see spot Ethereum um, by the end of May in 2024. Um, I haven't put a percentage on that. We have to I'm focused on the Bitcoin stuff. But assuming we do get a spot Bitcoin ETF and we are right about that, I think the SEC will be very hard pressed to find a way to deny spot Ethereum ETFs, like you said.
0: And then from there, really, there would be nothing stopping a combined spot Bitcoin and Ether ETF as well, right? Yeah, okay. agreed. Yep. Um, all right. Before I let you go, any thoughts on blockchain ETFs or crypto equity ETFs? Do you feel like these will just be... Uh, Sort of like the gold miner ETFs to physical gold ETFs longer term, right, where once a spot Bitcoin ETF is approved, that's how people will view these crypto uh, equity ETFs. It's interesting because if you look at the ETF performance leaderboard this year, those crypto related ETFs, they're all up at the the top, but they haven't really seen inflows. And so I'm just wondering... You know, what's the future for for those products?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of them out there. I don't know how many I want. There's over 10. I don't know the the exact number. I think some of them are going to have to close, but some of them have significant assets and people are going to be stuck in there with cap gains. And it was a way to get exposure to blockchain and crypto without buying the actual underlying asset. I think there are advisors that are just going to be more comfortable if they if crypto takes off again, they don't maybe don't want to hold the underlying asset. They don't want to worry about it. So I think there'll be uh, space for it. I mean, there's still there's a vibrant space for gold miner ETFs. If you look at what happened, Bitcoin miners tend to be like gold miners in the sense that they're like leverage plays on like the underlying assets. So I think we could see something very similar with some of these uh bitcoin equity- or crypto equity ETFs, but um yeah, I think some of them are like likely going to have to close.
0: Well, James, this has been so much fun. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. I'm so glad we could do this uh, in-, in person. How long are you in
1: town for? I'm here through uh, the middle, most of the day tomorrow.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, enjoy the rest of your trip, and thank you for joining me this week. Thanks, Nate. This was great. That was James Safer, ETF Research Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence.